0: Northside family how are y'all doing this morning morning. doing good we doing good good bad hey Anna Joy my little girl's back there she's waving at me so cute first time she's been in here to hear me preach so excited for that Um, if you don't know me I am the student pastor here at Northside and so if you're a student in here I feel like this is my opportunity for a plug right on Wednesday nights come and hang out with us please we have a lot of fun we do worship together free pizza I mean, what else can you ask for? all right, um, but anyways, this morning we 're going to be really taking a serious look at psalm chapter twenty three and so if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to psalm chapter twenty three and those of you who have been in the church world or a Christian for you know some extended period of time, you're probably somewhat familiar with psalm twenty three it 's probably the most memorized, the most quoted uh, psalm that there is, in fact. I was wanting to say this, so I Googled to confirm. I typed in, what's the most uh, popular psalm? And Psalm 23 was like number one on every list I saw, okay? So it's very popular. You should be familiar with it. But what happens when we hear something over and over and over again, right? Usually, those things lose somewhat of their meaning. Sometimes our hearts or our minds grow numb to what we're hearing. And so my challenge for you this morning is, is remember the purpose of us gathering together, right? And that purpose, if you don't know what it is, if you're just here and you don't know why you're here, I would challenge you with this purpose. Make this your purpose. I want to grow in my adoration of Jesus Christ. I want to grow in my ability to glorify almighty God. And so today, as we look at Psalm chapter 23, I I believe that this psalm, the truths in here, will be a blessing to those of us who will meditate on them and hear them and take them to heart. Will you do me a, a favor and join with me in reading this psalm? The words will be on the screen. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a beautiful psalm. Uh, But real quick, let me give you two pieces of context that will help us as we unpack Uh, the truths in this psalm and the first piece of context is this anytime you see uh, a shepherd and sheep in scripture which right here we see god as uh, the shepherd right but also that alludes to a shepherd has sheep right anytime you see these two the sheep are pretty much always connected with us or god's people right And, and that's not a good connection if you remember Weeks and weeks ago, I preached in months, I preached on the good shepherd, and we saw just how dumb sheep are. It's not very flattering to be called a sheep, right? And so that connection shows us we're totally in need, we're prone to wander, we're prone to do all this stupid stuff, get in dangerous situations that will harm us, and we need a shepherd. And then when we see a shepherd in Scripture, it's always pointing to God Almighty, a God who provides, God who guides, God who rescues, God who takes care of us as his sheep. And so well, we need to understand this about shepherds and sheep, but we also need to understand something about the one who's writing this. And the situation in which he's writing. And, and the person who wrote this psalm is pretty much unanimously agreed that, that King David of Israel wrote this psalm. And if you're not familiar with his life, let me give you just a little bit of backstory, okay? So King David is this small shepherd boy who's just tending to a flock. And and one day, the priest of God, Samuel, comes and basically says, hey, you are God's anointed. He is going to raise you up as Israel's next king. Okay, Uh, confusing situation, just random it seems, Uh, but he ends up going fighting Goliath and the king at the time, Saul, who is this mighty man, he looks like someone who should be a king, he had failed so God basically said, you're gonna be replaced and here's the boy I'm gonna replace you with. And there wasn't necessarily, probably was tension from the beginning, but it wasn't that intense at the beginning, the tension between Saul and David. You see, they really established this relationship where David was like family to Saul. When you read this story, what you see is, is David becomes best friends with Jonathan, Saul's son. The Bible talks of their relationship as if, I mean, they are as close friends as you can get. They are ride or die. They would do anything to, prevent, to protect, uh, to help out one another, to do whatever. Like, they, they are just They are the best of friends. And so already they're, you know, when you're really close friends with someone, you get to meet their parents. You're like hanging out at the house all the time. So already there's a relationship established. But even in addition to this, after David defeated Goliath, he went on to be basically one of Saul's greatest war generals. So the people of Israel would sing this song about Saul and David. They would say, oh, Saul has slain his thousands uh, and David his tens of thousands. David was a man who went to war over and over again, defeating every enemy that came at him. But what we see with David and Saul is, is the relationship begins to get a little skewed. You see, Saul, overwhelmed with jealousy, uh, kind of going into these manic, crazy episodes, would attempt to murder David. Because he, he, it seemed like he was okay at, at one moment. He loved David like a son. And the next moment... He said, okay, you're playing the harp for me, but I'm going to pick up my spear and try to throw it at you and kill you, right? Like, that literally happened. David's just over there trying to sue them with the harp. Weird picture in your mind, right? We don't think about that today, but that's what they did. And all of a sudden, Saul is just overwhelmed with, with anger and jealousy and hate for David, and he literally tries to murder him. And that happens time and time again, and when it would happen, David would be sent off basically fleeing for his life. Saul would gather these troops and say, we got to go hunt down David and kill him. And so this is a scary situation, but but eventually David survived. He never was overcome. In fact, God delivered Saul into his hand many times where David could have killed Saul, but he chose not to. But eventually David rises up, replaces Saul, and becomes king. And you kind of think that Kingly life would be pretty cool, as long as there's nobody invading and stuff. You're rich, you got everything you need, whatever. Uh, But David's life was continuously filled with trial after that. And I'm not just talking about David and Bathsheba. I mean, he got himself into that one, right? But we see some situations with his sons. One of his sons, he had many sons and many wives, poor decision-making on his side, but he had one son who assaulted one of his daughters. And as a response, another of his sons killed that son. So there's all this drama going on, all this tension in his family, this chaos. And then another son, Absalom, basically tries to uh, throw a coup, which is where he sneaks under and, and overthrows his dad and tries to take his place as king. He tries to murder his father, starts spreading all these lies and disinformation about him. Again, David is on the run. David's life is one that's full of, of pain, of suffering, of trial. And we don't know exactly when David wrote Psalm 23, but we know that it's at one point when he was wrestling, when he was in this point of running and suffering and, and hardship that he's facing from either Saul or maybe his son Absalom. And so it's in this place that we see David, pain, fear, being overwhelmed he looks up to God he says the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want I shall not want what does that mean right I always read that and I don't know if it's because I'm like dyslexic or what but I was like I don't get it the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want what it doesn't mean is this it doesn't mean want is not equated with desire okay okay so I was typing this message out while I'm sitting on my recliner that was gifted to us by our sweet neighbors, but it's been like sat on a lot. The girls have spilled a bunch of nasty stuff on it because my girls are crazy and they always take food where they're not supposed to. And, uh, and I'm sitting there, and it's really a really nice recliner, it's not that raggedy. But anyways, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, it's not a bad thing for me to one day maybe think, I want a new recliner. I want to replace this old recliner for a new one. It's not like David is saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I don't desire any new things, Right? What he's equating want with is being in need. Want equals being in need. The Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, if I know that, God, you are my shepherd, if everything else is taken from me, if I am brought into a situation where where enemies surround me, where it seems like I am going to be overcome or defeated, I know that I, in you I have all that I need. You are my comforter. You are my protector. You are the one that satisfies my soul it's it's here David says that but the question I have for you this morning is this it's a hard question if you will think about it is, is can you say that about your own life right now can you truly look up to God and say the Lord is my shepherd and if I have nothing else Lord if you strip me of every other thing in my life I will be satisfied in your presence and simply the reality of who you are as almighty God This comes from a place where our joy has shifted from being a joy found in the things of God. When I say things, I'm saying the material things that God may or may not have blessed you with. And it's shifted from being overwhelmed with joy that I got a new toy or, or I got a new position or promotion. And your joy is rooted. The foundation of it is built on the reality that you have a relationship with the God who created everything and that God cares for you and has a plan for you. And so in this place, that's a, that's a tough question, right? Because we all know that pain and suffering is, it doesn't really care who you are. It's coming after all of us at one point or another, right? We're all going to suffer in some way. We don't have to compare our sufferings, but we all know that we have suffered or, or we will suffer. And so it's a hard question to ask. It's a hard reality to live in that the Lord is my shepherd, that he's all that I need. And I want to give you one truth that I think helps us wrestle or, or continue pursuing to live that truth as a reality, that the Lord is our shepherd. He cares for us. And that first truth is, is this, that God holds your life in his hands. It's a simple truth, right? It's pretty self-explanatory, but it is something that we quickly will neglect or we will quickly act as if it's not true. But the reality is God is so much more powerful, so much larger than, than I think we often give him credit for, that he is over there just holding this whole world, each and every one of our lives. He, every single person, he knows what's going to happen in their life. He's orchestrating things in their life so that they will be drawn to him. I mean, he's doing all these things. He's holding us in his hands. And that is why David can look to God and he can say, the Lord is my shepherd, you're all that I need, even When a maniac is chasing him, trying to kill him, right? And you're probably, hopefully not, hopefully none of us are going to ever be running from a maniac. Like, that would be a horrible situation, right? Uh, But again, when we face trials, we must remember, okay, there's purpose in this. God's holding me in his hands. I don't get why. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to be hurting. But this is the, the path, the route to peace in the midst of, of that trial. And Jesus echoes this whole concept in, in Matthew chapter 6 when he teaches about not worrying. You remember what he said? He said that even the flowers of the field are more beautiful. They're clothed and adorned more beautiful than Solomon, the richest king of all, in all of Israel, in all his glory. They, those are more beautiful. God's taken care of them and made them so beautiful. Won't he do much more for you? Jesus says, but, but you, you must seek first his kingdom. You must seek first his righteousness. Then those things will be added to you. Don't worry about all that. Worry about his kingdom. Worry about his righteousness. Worry about who he is, who God is. And he will guide you. So it's in this place, and you know, it's a hard truth again, but it's in this place that David is able to be scared, be seemingly overwhelmed, yet say, God, you have got me. But when we neglect these truths, this simple yet important truth, I think we go to one of two places depending on our sin habits or our personalities, okay? Uh, so I'm going to describe two dangers here. And I think it should apply to pretty much everyone. You should be on the spectrum somewhere. So, so try to figure out where you apply and then deal with this because this can be an issue. So some of us in this place... Uh, We are, uh, I say we, I I wouldn't consider myself an overachiever, but some of y'all are overachievers. You're like, you work your fingers to the bone, you never stop, you never rest, you just keep going. And you have so much ambition that you're always chasing the next thing, right? And ambition and hard work we know is not a bad thing. It is a very good thing. But what sometimes happens with those of us with such strong ambition or, or drive or motivation is you will be so caught up in what is next, maybe a promotion or maybe a new season of life or, or maybe an investment or whatever it is, that what you're doing is you are neglecting the reality of God working and teaching you things right now where you are. So a pastor said it like this. He said, God is doing 10,000 things in your life to teach you and grow you and make you more like him. But you, if you really think about it, you're probably aware of maybe 10 of them. These people who maybe some of you are so driven by things or by the pursuit of these positions, these changes, that what happens is is this idea of a new status or new opportunity becomes an idol in your life and instead of being satisfied in Almighty God, you've placed your satisfaction in something that is never going to fulfill you, that's never going to play out and give you what you desire. It's always gonna leave you empty. So instead, look to what God is doing in you right now. Look to what God is seeking to teach you, why he has you in this season. What is he trying to reveal about himself and how is it going to make you more like him? But the second group of us is, is those who are content, but it's not a contentment out of uh, godliness because we see in scripture that contentment with godliness is great gain. It, is a, it can be a good thing to pursue holiness and righteousness uh, while being content where you are. But it's more so a contentment, some of you might be content out of a laziness or a fear right? You are too afraid for things to change. It's okay to love your job, but are you open to whatever God would call you to do? Because that's not just the reality for pastors, right? For people in full-time ministry. Every person who looks to Jesus Christ as their Savior, as their Lord, is saying, Jesus, I'm going to trust you if you call me to do X, Y, and Z, no matter how scary it is, no matter how much unknown there is, I am going to obey. But some of us are so, so content and lazy, that we never bother to ask God, God, what do you have for me to do? What would you want me to do to step out in faith? And in doing that, you're gonna stay so stagnant. Your growth is going to be shattered. You're you're just, you're missing out on all these opportunities and all these things that God wants to use to make you more like him, that God wants to lead you in these paths of righteousness where he will grow you and transform you and make you new. Understand that as we see this in the psalm, David is, he is reminding himself. He's not declaring, I don't think these things easily, right? He is, he is struggling. Pain hurts. Suffering is no fun. It's not like we should go out and seek suffering as Christians, but we know that when it comes, there is only one solution. Almighty God. And David understood this. So it's because he could acknowledge, okay, who watches over my life? The shepherd. He is the one that's satisfied. Then he turns to, okay, now, what does the shepherd do in my life? I know, God, you are my shepherd. You are going to be the one that satisfies my soul. Now, what are you doing? What are you going to do? And he continues, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He says he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Let's go through that because I think there's there's a lot of beauty in this, okay? And so this is only the second truth, although it's more of an application, and that is this. So the first truth, God holds your life in his hands. The second truth or application is this. In a time of trial, pain, or suffering, you and I as followers of God do not look to what we can do. Rather, we look to what God does. So God makes us lie down in green pastures and and the only thing that will cause a sheep to lie down in green pastures is if they're full they're pretty good at their job eating grass right and so they'll go and they'll eat a bunch of grass and when they get full they'll finally lie down they're they're comfortable they're good they've had a long day they feel safe the shepherd is there right but when we translate that to David David is not sitting there with a full belly he has been uh he, he has been Sort of exiled in a sense away from from the glories of kingdom living right he's not getting all the good food all the good wine all the stuff that he likes right instead he's probably hiding in a cave somewhere starving yet david looks to god and says god you make me lie down because my focus is that you would fill my soul that you would satisfy me that you alone are the one who gives me true fulfillment do you see that because this is the call to us too when you're experiencing these places, it's a battle, right? It is hard when you're suffering. But you must, I must battle in the midst of my suffering, not to look to the left or the right, not to look for the temporary things that may satisfy me and distract me in the suffering, but it is, it is our, our, it's the only thing that's really going to work for us is to set our hearts and our minds solely on Jesus, solely on our provider solely on the shepherd and when we do that you will see as he washes away the anxiety you will see as he fills you with his peace that passes understanding but you're thinking Matt I've tried that I've tried that and I'm telling you I try that I do that he overwhelms me with peace and satisfaction and then you know what happens I quickly go to the left and to the right I fall back. And I'm not just saying you're not spiritual enough or anything, but I'm saying if we're honest with ourselves, we will seek God and then we will neglect God for a time, right? We seek Him for a little bit and then we will act like He's not that involved and we'll get distracted, we'll get overwhelmed with these things. But you must battle to set your eyes and your heart on the glorious Shepherd. He leads me beside still waters. Again, I mean, when when you think of still waters, you think of a peaceful, calm environment. And in scripture, when we see uh, these pictures of waters, I, I, I think that it alludes to like where Jesus says, you remember what he says? He says, whoever drinks of the water that I give, well, what will never thirst again? Instead, when we drink of the spirit of God, of the truth of God and the work that he is wanting to do in you and through you, then he says, out from within you will overflow a well of life. A wellspring that's just coming out. Like you are, you are exemplifying, you are displaying the glory of God because you are drinking from the spirit of God. And in the same way, David is sitting here in this horrible place and he is drinking from the calm water well of God's spirit. This is where he rests and he says, peace is my result. God restores my soul. My soul. Think about that. Again, I know I'm just up here talking and some of you might have tuned out. Come back. He restores our soul. You know when a sheep falls over, it's one of their greatest dangers because they'll fall over like a turtle or a beetle like on their back. And they cannot move. They cannot get themselves back up on their legs going. Uh, So basically they're just left there waiting for a predator to come and eat them alive. So what a shepherd does is a shepherd goes and will massage their legs. Because if they just pick them up and put them right back, the blood flow is gone and they'll fall right back over. So the shepherd will like massage their legs, get the blood flow going. And he'll set them back up and he'll guide them where they need to go. And guys, this this is what God does for us. And if you're not experiencing this. I'm telling you, you, you're you're going through so much pain, needlessly, when you have a comforter, a provider, a strength, someone to lift you up. But you just need to humble yourself and realize that that you need him. And I'll stand up here and tell you this, just being vulnerable and honest. I am a man that is prone to insecurity, to feeling inadequate, uh, to being discouraged. I mean, I. I I'm confident in some things, but I just don't feel like a hot shot, right? Like, I, I oftentimes feel much more inadequate than I do, like, I, I should be doing something, right? Like, even preaching to you guys feels like, okay... Lord, there's no way I can do stuff like this unless you are gonna give me the strength. And that can lead me to some, stat, some like sad states, right? I can be pretty discouraged sometimes when I'm sitting in my office or when I'm at home and I'm by myself. And I just get overwhelmed with these feelings, these emotions. And my response is not just, okay, God, let me work hard enough. Let me work really hard and I'm just gonna get really good at this thing. Although again, hard work's not a bad thing. But the source of my strength comes from Almighty God. So my response, my approach must be god I am weak. I am prone to falling. I'm prone to sin. I'm prone to failing you. Therefore, Lord, simply take my life and use it however you please. I am completely in need of you. And as God's people, that should be every single one of our responses to God. But we get so filled up with our own ability, so overconfident in ourselves, that we're missing out That. God is the one who strengthens. He's the one who's, who's gifted you. He's the one who's going to equip you and sustain you in that place. The Lord will restore your soul. But the Lord also leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And you see, what happens with sheep is this. They, they will go and they'll graze in a path on a field or whatever and They'll eat that grass back and forth, back and forth on that path over and over until all the grass is gone. And since they're going in the same path, grass like you and I, except for the ladies in here, ladies don't poop. But the, the sheep, they poop. Or I said grass. But the sheep poop, right? And then they go back and they eat the poop. It's kind of nasty. So what happens is they get filled with these parasites that can kill them. So the shepherd needs to go and take those sheep and he needs to lead them in new paths. These paths for the sheep are are new. Sheep get scared. They're a little uncertain. They have to trust the shepherd because they don't know where they're going. And so, in the same way, I believe this is 100% true. A lot of times, God will take us into places. He calls us into things that are uncomfortable, that are new, that we've never done. And He does it because the path of righteousness is a path of complete dependence upon God. So, God is calling you, He's leading you. If you would, if you would give your ear to God, if you would, you would take a break, Stop being overwhelmed by all the stuff in life and just focus on him. He will start to guide you and give you clarity. Here's where I'm drawing you, here's where I'm taking you. And it may be scary, it probably will be uncertain. You probably will feel like, I don't know how I'm gonna do that thing. But the reality is the shepherd is the one who guides, the shepherd is the one who strengthens, the shepherd is the one who will carry you through. He leads you in paths of righteousness. It's all for his glory but it's also we see in the greater context of scripture that it's also for the good of those who love him. So if you love God, you can trust that he's not just doing these things because he's up there, he's God, he can do what he wants and he's like, whatever, I don't care about you. He's, he's allowing these things to happen. He's, he's moving you in this direction because it's good for you. And that's hard, that's hard, especially when we're talking about this suffering like David's going through. And it's at this point where uh, where I like to go over my message with my wife and I asked her, I said, um, "I said, babe, I feel like it gets a little long if I keep going through the whole psalm. And she said, no, I don't, I don't think so. You need to keep going. And so then I like finished it up. I typed it out. I had it last night. I was going over it with her one more time. And right here she said, man, it's starting to feel a little long. <laughs> I said, uh, well, babe, I already printed it out and everything. Um, So I think that it's like a genetic thing. Me and my dad both like to preach a little bit longer, so I'm sorry. Uh, But I'll go quick through these last bits of the psalm. I'll try to be really quick. It says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, God. Remember, he's there. He's present. He's holding, right? He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. A rod is meant for discipline. A staff meant for guiding and we see in scripture in the book of hebrews that that god disciplines those whom he loves he says, I discipline those whom I love. As a father would discipline their child, and those of us who are parents, we know we don't discipline out of anger. We, we may get angry when our kids disobey, but it's wise to take a step back and not punish out of anger. Wait until you can realize, here, how do I solve this problem without just making my kid afraid of me, right? We punish and we discipline because our desire for our children is that they would grow in wisdom that they would be mature, that they would understand what it it looks like to do what is right and what is good and what is pleasing to God. That is why we discipline. And when we neglect that, uh, the proverb says we spoil the child. So discipline, no, it hurts. Nobody likes discipline. But it is a good thing. It is a beneficial thing. And David's even, he's he's saying it's a possibility. I am here in this place uh, as some sort of your rod. You are comforting me in this discipline. Like I don't understand why, but but I understand that you're carrying me through it and you're with me. Now, the one thing I wanna say here is is this. We must understand that that God is not a God who is sitting here taking you through trial because you have done something that made him mad and now he's punishing you for it, okay? God's ultimate purpose for those of us in Christ is to transform us. His, His ultimate purpose is his glory, And so he is orchestrating that saying, here, I may bring you through something extremely difficult, but understand I am here. Understand I will carry you through. Understand that I'm not up here mad at you, wagging my finger, saying I can't believe you. Please hear that because some people get like suffering a little mixed up and we get deceived into uh, misunderstanding who God is and all of his grace and mercy towards us. But David continues, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. A picture of blessing, again, a picture of peace because when you think of eating, I love to eat. Oh man, I like. it's like one of my favorite things to do is just eat, I love eating. But when I think about sitting down and eating dinner, I don't want to be in a place where like, I don't know like a, an unstable environment. You know what I mean? Like I want to be at peace. I want to enjoy my meal. I want to enjoy the company of who I'm with. And, like, all of us, or at least most of us, probably have someone in the family who, it's like, you never know what they're going to say at the dinner table. Right? And that was my brother. Like, oh, man. Like, I love him. But it was like, we sit sit there, and I just didn't know if he was going to say something extremely inappropriate that would, like, set my dad off. And they would have this, like, argument or whatever. Or if he was just going to, like, you know, start, he would just start tension. Just like, it was like he enjoyed it. But it would make me uncomfortable and make me lose my appetite. And I remember one time, specifically, I was in fourth grade baseball game I was going to go to, John, my oldest brother, was supposed to come, and he'd never been to one of my baseball games, so I was like super excited, we weren't super close, I was like, I'm going to show my older brother how good I am at baseball, whatever, but then, he didn't come, because him and Josh got in a fight, and he picked up his sweet tea and threw it at Josh, and like, everything was ruined, I don't even, I think my mom like dropped me off at the game or whatever, it was just horrible, everything was ruined, when you're eating, when you're at dinner, right, when you're sitting at a table, you picture like peaceful environment and what David is saying is he's saying God you are with me and and you are so present you are so active in my life that that you set up this table for me to eat and be comfortable even though my enemies surround me even though they're right there ready to jump and kill me I sit down and I eat a meal I'm all good my blessings that I receive from you are overflowing isn't that crazy? That's, that's just wild to me. God is near to him and protects him, and he knew this so he could overcome these painful situations. To close, the last part of it says this, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I, you and I, in Christ, David says this with us, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely mercy and goodness will follow me all the days of my life hear this, if you are in Christ, if you have looked to Christ, understood the magnitude of what he's accomplished through his death and his resurrection on your behalf, that he has accomplished forgiveness, complete cleansing of your sins, making this this relationship that's been marred between you and God just completely fixed. He's allowed you to enter almighty God's presence with confidence. If you understand that, that alone should overwhelm you with the amount of mercy and goodness we have received in Christ. It's a mercy and goodness that we declare every week. At the same time, we, I don't think, can ever do justice how great the gospel is. In addition to that, if we're honest with ourselves, I don't know if you ever do this, but if you were to sit down, again, we get so caught up in life, right? Take a break and maybe write out, hey, I'm going to count my blessings. What are things I could be thankful for in life? Let me write these down. Let me think about the things that God has blessed me with. I mean, they will be too many to count when you start to add up the little things in your life that God has orchestrated to bring about blessing to you. But we forget. The battle is remembering who God is and what he does but we see that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I'm not going to get into this, but this, you guys need to understand this. I don't know if y'all ever heard me talking about eternity, but I did not understand it when I was a kid. I thought I was going to be like one of those little harp babies, you know what I'm saying? Like floating. And I was like, as a kid, that's not exciting. If, If that gets you excited, you're weird, okay? But that's not eternity. That's not what the Bible teaches. Yes, there will be singing. There will be praising of God. He will be our light. We will be in his presence. It will be more amazing. We will be moved in a way that we never have been. At the same time, the Bible teaches he is raising our bodies to be perfected. He is recreating, in a sense, this earth. So that what we know, right, we enjoy life. We are physical beings. He's raising us to a physical life except multiply the joys and the pleasures times a million and and minimize completely all the pain, all the suffering, all the bad. How can the thought and the imagination of that not get you excited? Surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I know that no matter what comes in this life, I'm his. I have that hope to look forward to. Do not miss out on that hope because that's like one of the biggest pieces of the Christian life. To summarize as we close, we look to God who is our strength. He's the author. He's the perfecter of our faith. He's the creator of all life and all things. He will carry us through and he alone through our suffering, and through our pain. He will make you better. He will make you more like himself. It is a battle of setting your heart, reminding yourself who he is and what he's doing in your life, but it is a battle that is worth fighting every day. You see, the world is teaching this popular view right now that everything you need comes from within. It is a repackaging of of occultic beliefs that have always been but it is a statement that if you want something, manifest it. Work hard enough, speak that into existence and everything divine flows from within you. But the gospel is contrary to that. The gospel says that that is completely false. You see, you and I are weak together. (laughs) Oh joy. But we have a God who is far greater, far more strong than anything else. He is the source of our strength. And I would challenge you, true victory will only come to those who press forward, not by our own abilities, not by our own strengths, but we press forward based upon the strength of the one who speaks and everything is created, the one who holds this world together, all the atoms, all the molecules, it says, by the word of his power, almighty God. And so if you don't know the God I speak of this morning, it's simple. He's everywhere. The Bible says God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Acknowledge the truth about him, that he is almighty, that he is in control, that he holds your life in his hands. And acknowledge this, that you have rebelled just like me, just like every other person on earth, against this holy and perfect God. And say, God, I have rebelled, yet you... Have made a way for me to be cleansed you alone are the way the the path in which i can be forgiven i can attain right relationship with you god i need you to humbly receive me because i i i can't do it and when you have a heart that cries out to god with this humility looking to the accomplished work of jesus christ to make you right with god you will be saved you will enter into that relationship but the second thing I would like to say to you as we close in prayer is this, as we worship, the reality is suffering may be overtaking you right now, or if it's not, it will come, and so I would challenge us to come forward just in a display of God, we get on our knees before you, we cry out to you, almighty God, almighty creator, the one who holds us, and we say, we need you. No matter where you are with God, we all collectively every day can say that prayer. And so will you join me in coming to the altar and crying out to God that he would transform us, that he would comfort us, that he would carry us where he wants us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. We thank you that that you have revealed even the tiniest amount of, of your greatness to us that we can be in awe of who you are. God, I thank you that that though we are sinners, though we are rebels, though we fall short time and time again, you are the one who forgives us, who sustains us, who strengthens us, who transforms us. And so Lord, I pray right now that your spirit would be filling this place, that you would move our hearts to a proper response of repentance and worship. And Lord, I pray that, that collectively, together, you would help us to worship you with one voice, with one accord. May we serve you with gladness, God. May we enter your presence with singing. May you transform our hearts right now, we pray in the name of Jesus.